This is our second time looking at Psalm 1, and our focus in this session is going to be simply on His delight is in the law of the Lord. To save time, let me just read the first what, three verses instead of the whole thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the, the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. So, Father, as we focus on this delight and on this law, I pray that you would grant this delight to happen in our hearts and that we would love your teaching. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's uh, focus in here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. And that's what we looked at last time. Alternatively to walking, standing, sitting with all the wicked sinners and scoffers, the alternative is his delight is in the law of the Lord. So let's just pause here first and and think about this. This word law here has a connotation probably for us that it didn't have for this writer, I think. It's, the word is Torah in Hebrew, which is a pretty familiar word in English, and is probably built on the word yara, which means to instruct, which would mean this word is broad enough to be translated instruction. And we know that that law connotes for us commandments, but law as instruction can include counsel, descriptions of reality, descriptions of, of God, descriptions of how God works in the world, so much more than just commandments. And this word is broader than commandments. We can see it in the New Testament. Here's a, a section. I'm not going to read all this. This is Romans 3, 19, 10 to 19. And Paul says, it is, as it is written. And then um, from verse 10 all the way down here to verse 18. He's patching together a group of psalms with one proverb thrown in. This is all psalms. And now, in summary, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So he's just quoted psalms, and he calls it law. Here's another example. Jesus, in John 10 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? And then he quotes Psalm 82, 6. 
Or, here's another example, John 15, 25. But the word that is written, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And then he quotes Psalm 35, 19. 35, 19. In other words, the word law here does not have to be restricted and ought not to be restricted to commandments, like the Ten Commandments. God lays down the law. No, this word Torah means God's word, God's instruction. I think we can see that in the Psalms if we go to 19, 7 to 10. The law, the Torah, there it is, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, that comes first in the list. There's about seven of them, because I think all the others are subcategories. Let's read. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And here are the examples. The testimony of the Lord is, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord it is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, or ordinances. This word is usually translated ordinances. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. So I think rules, commandments, fear, ordinances, precepts, testimony, all those are describing the law of the Lord. The law is the big category, the Torah of God, the instruction of God. So that's what I think we should have in our mind when we say his delight is in the law of God. That is, his delight in, is in everything God says. When God opens his mouth, he gets happy. I love to hear the voice of God, whether he's commanding or whether he's promising or whether he's describing or whether he's guiding. I love to hear. I delight to hear God instruct me. Now, next question I have is, um, why the word delight? Why not say, blessed is the man who walks not and does not stand and does not sit, but rather walks with the good and stands with the righteous and sits with the gracious. Let me, let me say it that way and see if it doesn't sound like that's the direction he was going. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he walks in the counsel of the good, and he stands in the way of the righteous, and he sits 
in the seat of the gracious. Why isn't that the contrast? Why does he shift categories from walking, standing, and sitting, which are all activities of the body, over to one of the most profound experiences of the heart, namely delight? Why does he do that? Well, since he did it, I'm just going to try to draw an inference he is moving, he wants to move from external bodily activity here to internal root activity. In other words, this delight, if it's in the law of the Lord, is going to change this walk, change this standing, and change this sitting. If this delight were in uh, sin, well, it would result in standing in the way of sinners. If this delight were in scoffing, it would result in sitting in the seat of scoffers. If this delight were in, um, what, the uh, wickedness, then it would produce walking in the counsel of the wicked. But it's, it's not. It's a delight in something different. So he's showing that what has to change, what, what makes a man blessed is not that he simply chooses a particular physical activity to do, but that he experiences a profound new object of delight, namely God's instruction, or you could say God and everything that comes out of, of God's mouth. Why, why would he want to do that? Why would he want to shift down to something so deep? Well, it's deeper and I would say when you, when you delight in something, you honor it, you magnify it, you glorify it more than if you just dutifully comply with it. If, if, if you're a student and your teacher assigns you to read some instruction and you dutifully do it, but you'd rather be doing something else the whole time, well, you show that you've got some willpower. But if a teacher gives you some instruction, and you devour it. You, you go over it over and over again because you find it so satisfying. Well, you say a lot more about the value of that instruction than if you just dutifully do it. So surely that would be one reason why he would shift from these external acts to the deeper activity of the soul called delight, because when we delight in God or delight in the Word of God or the instruction of God, we magnify, we glorify, we, we show it to be valuable and precious, a real treasure to us. Now, here's a big, big question. How is it that we sinners can delight in the law of God. How is it that delighting in the law of God, joy in God's Word and God, can be the great alternative to sin? <laughs> it is wonderful, I think, that he says the alternative to walking and standing and sitting in sin is joy in God's Word. But how can that be when this law, this instruction, indicts us and reminds us that we are sinners? 
And Paul himself talks about the way the law kills. And here's the answer, I think. We know from Psalm 32, 1 and 2, that God has provided forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This is the word of God's instruction. In other words, back here when it says his delight is in the law of God, it's not just his delight is in commandments that damn him. His delight is in the instruction that forgives him. This is the whole law of God, the whole instruction of God. And it includes not just God's instruction, which shows that we're failures, which we are, but that God has somehow wonderfully made a way that transgressions can be forgiven. Now, they didn't know how that would be worked out in the end. They knew there were sacrifices that God had made by which they could find remission of sins, but they didn't know where it was all going. We do. So we go over here to Romans 7. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So when Christ died, we died to the law so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We're going we're gonna to become obedient, fruit-producing people another way than by being under the law as a way of justification. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we might serve. We serve in a new way. We don't stop serving God and obeying God and delighting to do God's will. We serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So this releasing from the law and this dying to the law does not mean that all the precious instruction of the law that we love is canceled away and thrown away. We don't ever read our Bibles anymore. We don't ever read the Old Testament or the New Testament. We don't read the Sermon on the Mount. No, we don't read Exodus and Leviticus. No, 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 no. We have died to it in what sense? We have died to it in the sense that we are justified, not by law-keeping, but by the blood of Jesus. Since therefore, this is Romans 5, nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Justification, right standing with God, is now based squarely on what Christ has done for us. And when he dies, all our sins are forgiven. And we die to the law as a way of justification. We don't die to the law as a way of instruction and joy. So here in Psalm 40, verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written to me. I delight to do your will Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. When Christ covers our sin, he pours the Holy Spirit into our lives and he writes the law on our heart. That's the new covenant. And already here, this is a prophecy of Christ, but it also applies to the saints in the Old Testament, namely that those who were truly 
Christs belonged to God, even though they didn't know Christ. They were born of God so that they could love the law of God. So, delighting in the law of God is the fundamental alternative to walking and standing and sitting in wickedness, sin, and scoffing. The grand alternative to sin is joy. And the effect of it is that we meditate on the law of the Lord, the instruction of God, day and night, which is what we'll look at next time.